Hello and welcome back to the Baggies Broadcast Summer Series sponsored by Adoption at Heart. I'm Johnny Drury and as always I'm with my mate and Baggies correspondent Joe Massey. Uh, Joe just reflecting on episode one of the Baggies broadcast with Dan Ashworth. How uh, we've, we've had a lot of good feedback from Baggies fans. How good was that podcast? It was, yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. I think we were, we were both so excited about it, both so excited to record it, so excited to put it out there. Um, yeah, and hopefully everyone now can understand why, because it really, really was uh, just a fascinating listen, um, in my opinion. And more to come, mate. More to come. Because more to, we've got some more to come. other amazing guests lined up. We have, we have. Thank you very much for all your support from this episode. The amount of views we got have been fantastic. Andy Johnson's been blown away. He's eating our dust when oh. it comes to podcast views now. I mean, we've just um, forgotten that was even a thing, haven't we? we yeah, just, we were. Well, yeah, yeah really, we can't even they? see him. He's that far behind now. <laughs> uh, but today, we've got Canu, Robson Canu, Hal Robson Canu. Um, we spoke to him quite a while ago, Joe. He's been on the Baggies broadcast, and it was a very interesting chat, talking Slav, uh, relegations, promotions, turmeric, which was a very, very interesting, his, his career now. Um, the promotion campaign... You know, and just a few other things. Is is sort of his exit from West Brom? It was a it was a really good insight, wasn't it? Yeah, fascinating insight. Um, again, we said this at the start of Dan Ashworth podcast, but um, everyone knows who listens to this what a big fan of how Robson Carno I was um, during his time at Albion. Just such a um, fanboy, aren't you? I'm a fanboy, mate. I'm just and this is all I'm doing. I'm just I'm just <laughs> I'm just fanboying this this close season. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was a huge fan, and yeah, really, really interesting. If you went, we spoke to him about his whole Albion career, basically from day one to the day he left. Um, so many sort of interesting points along the way, so many highs and lows. Um, obviously, the playoff defeat to Villa that time, that team that didn't make it up. Obviously, all the Slavin Bilic team that era finally getting over the line um, after COVID, and then obviously that Premier League campaign that followed. Yeah, so much to talk about. There was some really, really interesting stuff. It's got to be said on his departure, um, which we will let you listen to. But yeah, safe to say, very, very interesting stuff from Hal Robson Carno. And I've got to say, the turmeric stuff is absolutely fascinating as well. Um, it's a really interesting story, um, how that business started. It's safe to say, he never planned to be doing this. Um, but yeah, incredible, incredible how how that's take how that sort of started and how he's taken that on. So loads loads of stuff I think, for people to listen to I think they're going to really enjoy it he's a good salesman I'm threatening to buy a bulk load of turmeric to be perfectly honest I think yeah, it's going to yeah you keep saying that you might revive me fo- might revive me football career we never know you never know mate yeah, get you better know. at golf yeah yeah. well yeah, I'm pretty good at golf could be are. better though could be better though but um yeah, turmeric. I could be off. Uh, could be a scratch handicap before long. But um, but yeah, there we go. Fantastic chat from Hal Robson Carno. So um, here you go. When the baggage broadcast met Hal Robson Carno. Hal Robson Carno, welcome to the baggage broadcast. Thanks very much for for coming on. How's it going? Uh, a busy busy man, I'm guessing, from what we've been reading. Cheers, Johnny. No, thank you very much. Uh, delighted to be on here. Uh, looking forward to talking to you guys and, um, yeah, keep keeping myself busy. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, we'll come on to, obviously, all your your business stuff at the moment later on. We're going to go for all your, your baggies career. Um, but just to uh, just to start off with, we're going to go right back to, um, well, say right back to t- the summer of 2016. Probably a, a big summer on, on two counts for you, Hal. Scored that amazing golf Wales and then uh, signed for, for West Brom as well. It was, uh, so that's probably... Where we'll start our journey. It must have been quite a summer for you. 
Yeah, it was. I'd been at um, Reading Football Club for over a decade, come through the academy there, you know, broke into the first team with a you know, core group of people, uh, you know, other players in, in my age. It was, you know, really great, great period of my career. Um, Brendan Rodgers gave my debut at Reading, so really fond memories uh, overall. Um, having successful promotions, playing in the Premier League, you know, achieving these, you know, dreams that you have as a kid. Um, and yeah, uh, decided to run my contract down at, at Reading um, to see what, what was available. And there was, you know, really good offers on the table, but we knew we were heading into, uh, you know, European Championship where we had qualified for Wales. First time in over 40 years, Wales being at a major tournament. Um, so we were riding very much on a high. And so... It was a, a risky decision going into the tournament on a free. Um, I, I probably wouldn't recommend it because you know if you, you pick up an injury at that point in time, uh, you know you, you, you're pretty much left with, left with uh, without anything. But um, but yeah, it, it was just a, a great opportunity for me to go and sort of showcase what, what I'd been doing at Reading on a sort of global scale uh, in in the European Championships, and we had you know as we as we all know phenomenal success in. Um, qualifying for, for, for the semi-finals, um, ultimately getting knocked out by the European champions in, in Portugal uh, at the time, but also along that journey, uh, you know, scoring the winner in the first game and obviously scoring a memorable goal against Belgium to knock them out in the quarter-finals. So, yeah, it was a, a really special, special time, special moment um, and, yeah, really fond memories, as I said. Was that you backing yourself then? How was it going into that tournament without a contract? Um, yeah, to be honest, I, I, I was aware of it, but I didn't really think too much about it. It was like, you know, just, just go and go and play and go and show what you can do. And as I said, I'd been doing it for over a decade at, at Reading, where obviously, you know, experienced two, two cruciate knee ligament injuries where, you know, I was sort of told I'd never play football again, let alone at the level that, you know, I wanted to play. So, you know, I'd obviously come through adversity throughout my career and, I thought actually uh, it was just a great opportunity to go and, and play football with, with, with freedom and, and sort of see, see what happened. And as you said, you know, it was a, a special tournament, not only for myself, but for the nation. Um, you know, we inspired a generation of, of people within the nation. And uh, it was great going into, you know, the quarters and semifinals of being the only home nation team left in the tournament and, you know, sort of uh, doing Britain proud. So, yeah, it was a, it was a unique period. Did Albion's interest emerge following that tournament? How did the move come about? Yeah, well, uh, obviously, Tony Pulis was manager at the time. I think um, they'd just finished top half of the Premier League. Um, and we were talking with a number of number of teams uh, throughout the UK and abroad prior to the tournament. Um, a lot of good offers were on the table. Uh, but as I said, you know, I wanted to go into the uh, into the tournament uh, with freedom, uh, you know, sort of to, to, to control my own destiny. And so, yeah, it, it obviously hotted up as the tournament went on and, um, you know, had some insane offers from abroad, um, you know, just ridiculous uh, sort of offers from, from China and from Turkey and um, from the UAE. But my ambition was to get back to, to playing in the Premier League. And uh, that's where... And sort of, I played played a number, few years with Reading and uh, playing in the Championship. You know, the, the year prior, uh, I wanted to, to to really get back into into the Premier League. You know, apply my trade at that level and, and show what I could do. And so, yeah, it was um, 
it was a, a good match at the time and and, and a good uh, good opportunity for for myself and obviously Albion bringing me on as a free agent. Um, I think it was Ricky Lambert who left at the time, um, and you know we subsequently had a, a really successful season. Now, as Tony Pulis obviously brought you in, what what did he say to you to sort of entice you in? Yeah, so again, I think it, it speaks for itself. You don't really need to sort of sell the, the Premier League to, to any players, um, but obviously, what what would what they were doing at the Albion, it was, um, you know, the, the the way that they played was very very um, direct, but they needed you know physicality. You know, a lot of uh, the, the attackers, Tony Pulis wanted to, to to put the ball down the channel, spinning behind. You know, just players who really worked and were committed to the team and. At the time, obviously, you know, you had the likes of Darren Fletcher, you know, Johnny Evans, obviously Ben Foster in goal, you know, guards who was there as well, um, you know, Morrison, James Morrison, um, obviously Solomon Rondon was sort of the strike partner and, and leading striker there at the time. And so everyone was, you know, a real worker and had a real strong work ethic. And I think that sort of fitted my profile and attributes as a player uh, where I'd, you know, always give my all, um, you know, be as physical as possible, try and affect the the opposition and the defence and yeah it was a it, it was a, a good fit for me yeah and with that how when you sort of went in at, at West Brom um how did you see your role going in was it was it to push as you said there Solomon Rondon was the was the strike they paid sort of 15 odd million pound for was it was was your sort of um what's the what's the word I'm looking for sort of your plan to go in there and, and try and sort of push him all the way really yeah, it was obviously obviously to go in there and compete and and you know improve the the the, the squad and get have that impact uh, on the team and you know I had to to be quite patient for my chance um, you know I think my first start was was Southampton away um, and um, you know to sort of I joined late so it was sort of two three months after I'd signed and you know we ended up winning that game scored a really good goal um, helped with an assist for Matty Phillips. Um, so from from that moment onwards, really, you know, sort of began to really make sure that I was, you know, in and amongst the team, you know, whether it was starting, coming off the bench, but but being that real value add to to the to the team and to the squad. Yeah, I watched that goal back this morning. I forgot just how good that uh, that strike was against Southampton. It was a it was some strike. Um, just just moving on to well, the next question. Me and Joe were talking about this before. There's one we really wanted to ask, and it won't be the most technically football question we'll ask you today, but. When sort of strikers sign for clubs, they usually pick up sort of number nine, number eight, number ten. So you uh, you went in with number four. Was there any sort of reasoning behind that? How long were you just sort of chuck the number four shirt when you went in the baggies dressing room? Yeah, no, I think um, at the time uh, there were um, high double digit numbers available. Um, so I think it was like either you know number four or number. 16 or number 27, you know, something like that. A lot of the younger players had sort of first team uh, squad numbers already allocated. Um, and yeah, my, my namesake, obviously, Nwanku Kanu, he, he, he wore number four for, for the Albion. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, it, I just thought, why not? You know, it's, a, it's, it's as close to a nine in terms of shape as possible. So I thought, let's just chuck that on my back. Yeah, so there was a bit of, a, was a bit of method in the, in the thinking. Um, just what you say there, Tony Pulis is the one who wants to sign you, who brought you in at Albion. You know, I've sort of listened to a few other podcasts and listened to former Albion players and players who played for Stoke who say sort of, you know, 
what you get is what you see is what you get with Tony Pulis. It's quite regimented, you know, but it works for for the large part. What was it like playing under him, Hal? As a as a striker, obviously people associate Tony Pulis with a defensive style of play, but what was it like as a striker working under him at, at West Brom? Yeah, I, I personally really enjoyed it. Um, as you said, you know, he, he's direct with what he wants. He's clear in what he wants. You know, there, there's no ambiguity or um, anything other. And, and ultimately, he want he wanted to get results. You know, he wanted to get wins, and he, he would do everything that it took to, to get that. So, as I said, with the likes of the players who he had around him, you know, the likes of Darren Fletcher, the likes of. Johnny Evans, who had obviously played for, you know, the, the greatest clubs in the world, such as Manchester United, you know, they, they all bought into what he was doing. Uh, and so, you know, if they're buying into it, then the whole squad and the whole group can buy into it too. Um, his pre-seasons were incredibly intense. You know, he put, put you through, you know, the, the, the paces, extremely demanding, but that's what it looks like at the top level. So, um, tactically, he's clearly, you know, astute in terms of defensive work. I remember we used to, you know, create blocks for against the top teams. I remember we, you know, we went toe to toe with Manchester City at home in the cup, and uh, we, I think we ended up losing one nil. Um, but we literally, you know, they they simply couldn't break us down. And they had the likes of, you know, Aguero, Jesus, uh, you know, De Bruyne in their team, and so that was down to the structure and the discipline that that he instilled. And so for me, you know, I I, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, it was, uh, as I said, uh, it wasn't anything to do with ego. It was all about the team. Um, and, you know, for the period that he was there, you know, he, he, he had, you know, good, good success. So, yeah. Yeah, and that you mentioned uh, earlier in the in the podcast, that first season was a really good season. I think Albion finished 10th. Was there a sense in that summer that you could kick on, basically, and, and try and sort of go on better and, and crack into that top half of the table? Yeah, you know, that, that was the, the objective and the ambition. Um, certainly the ambition of the owners, they wanted that. But um, again, you know, when, when you do that, you need to invest heavily in the, in the squad and in, in the group. And, you know, we didn't we didn't make, do anything majorly in, in the summer in terms of acquisitions that, that year. And I think there was a bit of frustration from, you know, from, from uh, the manager in that sense. Because you know, in, in, in any, particularly in the top league, you know, you need four players for every position at minimum. And so... Um, I think going into the, the season, we had the expectation to really do well and we made, you know, some some good sign-ins sort of who were maybe different from the usual way that we, you know, we were playing at the time. Um, you know, maybe more technical, ball on the floor, you know, play through the lines. Um, but I remember, we you know, we started the season on fire. I think we won three out of the first four games or, you know, um, and we were in a really strong position, but again, you know, uh, the Premier League is ruthless, and um, you know we hit a bad patch early, uh, which subsequently, you know, uh, put us in a position where we weren't, you know, in the relegation zone, but we were, you know, sort of bottom half of the table, and I think the the owners were were expecting more. Yeah, and like you say, there it was a great start. I think you you scored um, in one of their, I think it was as you say there in one of the opening games. It was three out of four, and then. Sort of things started to go. What, what, from a player's point of view, how what started to go wrong under under Tony Pulis that ultimately led to sort of him him leaving the club and, and losing his job in the end? What, what is there anything that you could put your your finger on looking back? Um, yeah, I think as I said, you know, I'd say the players that were brought in in the summer were more sort of te- technical players as opposed to you know sort of um, workhorses um, uh, and sort of you know robust players who would you know sort of 
apply what the philosophy at the time of the club was in terms of you know relatively direct very dynamic um solid blocks uh, defensively so yeah i think um it was um you know a, a difficult period obviously uh, during that time um and when you're in a rough patch it's very hard to get out of it you you see the likes of everton football club in in that patch now you know it's it's difficult you know when you're not winning games but you're close to the relegation zone um the games just seem harder and harder and so you really need to work hard to get out of it and ultimately in the end you know the, the club made a decision to to change manager um you know brought in Alan Pardew in the new year and I think he came in um with a very different idea and philosophy uh probably you know not not enough time to actually implement that uh, really and and that sort of change you ideally want to be making in the summer and not um halfway through a season when you're already in a difficult patch so there were some good results you know Liverpool away etc but actually you know overall it was a disappointing period and then when you're changing managers at that frequency at the top level it's extremely hard as a player as a group as a team to gain any form of consistency um, however when Darren Moore came in you know he made a really positive impact uh, we had a, a really good run and and ultimately gained some really good momentum unfortunately you know by that time the the, the team had been been relegated um but it allowed us to 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 build on mm-hmm. on that togetherness that that Darren Moore put in and and then went into the following championship season with with a, a little bit of momentum which was uh, positive yeah and just just reflecting back there obviously Alan Pardew came in what was and he you know his his run, certainly in the league, I know you referenced that FA Cup win, which was superb at Liverpool. The run in the league was was pretty dismal. Um, did the players take to Pardew at all, Hal? Because, you know, I don't, the fans, if I remember right now, the fans weren't massively inspired by the appointment. You know, what was the feeling in the dressing room when, when Alan Pardew came through the door? Yeah, I think it's, you know, any manager coming in, you know, they're, they're the manager of the football club, so you respect what they're doing, but... Ultimately, it's about results and about positively impacting the, the the group and the team. And as I said, you know, we 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 didn't get that. And subsequently, obviously, you know, being relegated, it was uh, you know not what we wanted as a team and as a players. It was very hard to take given the you know the, the success that we'd had in the previous year and the group of players that we had. But as I said, you know, Darren Moore came in, um, created that you know real togetherness going into then the championship season, which ultimately uh, didn't end how we'd like it in a sense where you know losing out yeah you know at a playoff stage is is always frustrating given how long that championship season is that's 48 games plus cup games so that was hard to hard to take definitely um but again you know the back end of that season uh, Darren Moore obviously again the owners making a change and uh, that that whole in, whole aspect around stability in any organization you need that and that's not consistent in football which is why you get so much change but then that change creates even more change so it's a never-ending wheel and cycle so yeah um going into the following season was really positive Slavin Bilic's appointment really changed the shape of the group and the culture around the place uh, he really gave us that belief to control games, play with the ball, you know, the players that were brought in, you know, the likes of Grady Diangana, Mateus Pereira, you know, Philippe Kravinovic, all of these players were were really positive players, but coupled that with, 
you know, the likes of the experience with myself, Jake Livermore, Charlie Austin, Carl Bartley, um, you know, Matty Phillips. There was a real strong <coughs> core there. Uh, and yeah, it was a, a positive season in, in ultimately finishing um, in the top two, given everything that went through with COVID uh, and the difficulties that we had. So yeah, uh, an, another great, great season for, for, for memories for us. Yeah. Oh, um, oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, Joe, just a couple before we sort of get onto the, the Slavon era, which is the more positive, positive part of the podcast, probably. Um, Darren Moore came in at the end of that Premier League season and, and as we know, get, seemed to galvanise um, galvanise the club. I think there was a win at Old Trafford and then there was that sort of bizarre, I just want to just finally just want to touch on that, that bizarre afternoon where I think Albion could have been relegated at lunchtime. Stoke played, Stoke lost, ended up going down and Albion sort of kept things alive with that sort of last minute goal. Um, I think Jake Levermore scored in the 92nd minute against Tottenham. Um, was there a sense there that you could actually still pull off the, the impossible at the end of that season after everything that had gone on? Yeah, yeah, it was still possible, obviously. You know, as long as it's mathematically possible, you, you've got to believe in it. So, um, but in the end, it, it obviously wasn't meant to be. Yeah, yeah. And then just the following season, as you said, there didn't didn't really go to plan, but it was obviously yourself, three forwards, yourself, Dwight Gale and, and Jay Rodriguez, who, who, you know, scoring for fun and you were chipping in on the side. You know, looking back, is it a case of you really should have gone up that season, given the amount of goals that you had sort of in your armoury and, and that you Albion scored really. Yeah, yeah, we we had the the group of players uh, for sure, uh, but again, you know, it, it, we didn't get it over the line, and and that's football. Uh, so you have to take opportunities when you can, um, and yeah, good good lesson, but a good change of manager in terms of bringing Slav and Bilic in. Uh, he brought his own backroom staff. Um, you know, um, Dean, who's uh, a really uh, excellent coach in terms of you know motivating the. The players um, and Dan, who you know, Danilo, who was again, you know, learning and applying his trade, but good in terms of you know, uh, tactical and technical. And obviously, Slav and Bilic had that aura about him, where you know, he immediately gained the respect of the, the senior players, bought into them, and as I said, that that togetherness to achieve that in in a first season uh, promotion is is no mean feat. You know, you guys will be seeing it now um, at the Albion, the difficulty of uh, you know, change of change of manager. Um, and how actually difficult that league is. So, again, it shows how well we did as a group of players and the management at, at that time. Sorry, Joe. No, that's fine. I'll just, just uh, chip in and say, actually, um, just so you, you, you know, Johnny's a boyhood Baggies fan. I'm sort of an adopted Albion fan. I started covering you when in Slavin's season, first season of the Championship. But just So he's asking those questions. But we'll, we'll move on to, on to the turmeric stuff, if that's all right. Um, the story is out there. I've read a, free, a few really good articles on it. One in the grocery in particular I thought was really interesting. But it's best for you to tell it. But I, I picked up something yesterday. How So how you were actually told you might never play again or never play pain-free, is that right? When you suffered your first knee injury or second injury, would you just mind explaining the very sort of beginnings, how it came about? Yeah, so I was at Reading at the time as a 15-year-old. They were really keen to progress me into the first team. They wanted me to be one of the youngest players to have made their first team debut, coming from their academy. Um, and so they were playing me as a 15-year-old in reserve team football. Um, reserve team game against uh, Milton Keynes, massive centre-half. He was like, you know, I'm going to show this uh, young kid a few things. So first challenge that came up, um, you know, he wiped out my knee with a knee-high challenge and ended up snapping my knee in half. Can you remember uh, who it was, Hal? Who the defender was? No, I don't think, yeah. I think he, I don't think he, he wasn't, 
yeah, it, it was uh, no recollection of that to be honest. But um, he, he obviously wasn't didn't didn't play at the uh, the level. Or, I think um, you're being very polite there, Hal. I think you're being very polite. <laughs> Sorry, carry yeah, on. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Um, and then, yeah, and then so I ended up rupturing my cruciate knee ligament, um, medial ligament and uh, posterior ligament. So needed a surgery for it. So reconstruction surgery and that's 12 months out of the game. So at 15, I was didn't play football for 12 months. Um, ended up with the rehabilitation, coming back, working really hard to, to try and get back to a level where I could, you know, play and compete. Um, unfortunately, after coming back after a few weeks, this time it was, um, you know, a, an accident, but ended up rupturing the same knee again and then requiring a revision surgery reconstruction. And so um, subsequently was out for two, two and a half years uh, without kicking a ball. Um, so would that have been when you were 16, sorry, or 16, 17 then? You've read- 15, 16, yeah. So 15 was the first one, 16 was the second one, and then 17, I began coming back. But after the second surgery, the surgeon told my dad that I would never play without pain or restriction again and I wouldn't be able to play or compete at any decent level. Um, my dad actually didn't tell me that at the time because he knew how determined I was to have a career in professional sports um, and become a footballer but um, the surgeon was right so as soon as I came back after that two and a half year period began training and playing and my knee would just swell up all of the time. You know, I just constant pain, you know, constant restriction in my knee um, to the point where I, I simply couldn't compete. So uh, at the time, the physios and the doctors at the club gave me anti-inflammatories uh, and painkillers. So I started taking these um, uh, these drugs and uh, my body just rejected them completely after a few weeks of having them. So I started passing blood in my urine, had severe nausea, couldn't sleep and these were the side effects of these, you know, um, uh, this drug, you know, the, the drugs and the painkillers they were giving me. So I had to stop taking them. Uh, but ultimately, I was still playing with pain and restriction. So it was at that point where me and my dad, we began looking at natural ways to recover uh, and reduce the pain and inflammation that I was experiencing. And so, you know, after a number of weeks of research, we identified some natural key ingredients which were used either in Eastern Asian medicine, Ayurvedic practices, but alternative natural remedies, which were actual you know, functional foods at the same time. And these included things like pomegranate, pineapple, watermelon, ginger, and subsequently turmeric, but it was consuming them in their raw format. So individually, it's quite hard to consume all of these ingredients on a consistent basis. And obviously anything to do with nutrition, you need consistency. You know, you can't just have it as a one-off. It has to be a consistent change for the nutrients and the compounds to actually impact your health positively. So yeah, uh, my dad eventually, after a few weeks of trial and error, made this golden elixir, um, which was, you know, really potent. You know, remember the first time I had it, it completely, you know, knocked my socks off and it was like, wow, you know, really strong, really potent, but it felt good. Um, and it also tasted really good because I was fussy as a kid. So I made sure my dad made it actually palatable and, and actually enjoyed it. So ended up having these, uh, you know, golden elixirs three or four times every day. And after a few weeks, I realized I was recovering a little bit quicker. After about, you know, four weeks, I noticed, you know, I wasn't having as much pain directly after training and after playing. So I was beginning to get back, you know, active and get back play, playing with the team and training with the team. And it was about six weeks after I'd continuous continuously taken this golden elixir where my usual routine would wake up go into the bathroom get into the shower 
turn the shower on and I realized that that was the first time in nearly two and a half years that I had woken up without pain or restriction in my knee and so at that moment in time you know it was a complete light bulb moment you know it was a completely chain like it changed my mindset because everything up until that point you know I'd been told by the surgeon told by the physios you know told by the doctors that I couldn't play without pain or restriction and that was there was no real solution or, or alternative and so we'd effectively you know created this this um homemade remedy which then became my secret weapon so I continuously used this you know shot this golden elixir shot throughout my whole career and then I realized that actually I began recovering quicker than my teammates you know so whether it was just from training or whether you know you picked up a a muscle strain or a knock I would genuinely recover quicker than everyone else in the team Um, my immunity was really strong you know so I wouldn't get run down from colds or illnesses when they were going around the team or the club um and so i began giving them a few of the shots to my teammates you know at the time it was uh, at Reading, so you know the likes of uh, paul mcshane um you know mm-hmm. stephen quinn they, they were all you know uh, really interested about it and so they began you know reporting similar benefits so they'd be like oh i, I feel better what was that and i'll just say oh it's just a homemade re- recipe you know we just just make it at home and so up until this point, as I said, we had completely used it for myself, my family and our friends and obviously subsequently my, my teammates. Um, but it was in 2016 where I saw a turmeric shot on the shelf um, in a retail store. And I was obviously delighted to see it because up until this time, you know, we'd ruined dozens upon dozens of, you know, blenders, stained utensils, you know, stained fingertips and making this product consistently every single week. You were genuinely delighted to see it. You were never having this, like, you mean, you must not think, hang on, this could be like big business. When you you genuinely having to see it on the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely buzzing because it was, (laughs) it meant I didn't have to, we, as a family, we didn't have to make it. I didn't have to call up, you know, my dad and say, oh, when when are you bringing, you know, the the shots round and all of this stuff. So, so really pleased. And so, Bought, bought a load of the shelf, went home, um, took them back to my dad's and really excited, went to drink them. And we had to spit it out because we couldn't believe how inferior it was to what we were producing. And it was only when we spun the bottle around and we looked at the ingredients that we realised it was made out of things like apple juice made with you know turmeric powder, which isn't the raw root and actually wasn't in an absorbable or functional blend. So it really just was apple juice in a shot being sold as a functional product and it wasn't so we realized that actually what we were making was you know a high quality product which actually the market now obviously needs because it's sat on a retail store shelf but actually no one's actually delivering what what is required so we um made a decision in 2016 to you know, bring the blends that we were making at home to market. And then, you know, we, it took a two-year journey and we, we subsequently launched the Turmeric Co. in 2018. I mean, your dad deserves immense credit, doesn't he? I mean, how, has he got any experience in, in this? How did he come up with the sort of, how did he come up with it? It's incredible, really. Yeah, it was just through through research, to, to be honest, like, you know, sort of identifying all of these natural ingredients that, that benefited uh, health in some form or another. Um, and it was, um, you know, my dad came from Nigeria here when he was a teenager to study law and he subsequently studied law, ended up working, you know, as a a civil servant for over 35 years. And, um, 
he tells stories of when he was young in Nigeria, he remembers his father um, healing people through natural medicine. So, you know, they'd come to, you know, in the village that they lived, they'd come directly to his father for treatment and for help. And so his, you know, his, his dad, unfortunately, you know, died when my dad was 10 in the Biafran war. So those are the few memories that he has. So, you know, and, and it's only, it only came, you know, about that we, when my dad was speaking that he told us that he, his father was a herbalist, you know, so alternative medicine, you know, traditional um, uh, practices outside of what we now use for Western civilization, right? Because when you guys have a headache, you'll pop an aspirin or a Panadol, you know, you're not looking at your nutrition, you're not looking at your hydration, you're not looking at your lifestyle. So it's a complete lifestyle and mindset shift, but actually allows natural health to, to be achieved as opposed to living in a cycle of deterioration in health and then we all get to you know 55 60 65 and you know we've got masses of disease you know we've got various ailments so society is now going through this sort of transformational shift where more and more people are taking care of their health and their well-being and the fundamental you know driver for that is nutrition I'm going to order a big batch. You've just sold it to me. How long? I'm going to order a big batch off you after the after the podcast. But you must be immensely proud. And I mean, we're Albion, one of the first clubs to sign up. And you got so. I mean, I think just to say the other clubs and countries that have signed up since. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, as I said, you know, when when I was at Albion, you know, we launched in 2018, and immediately the, the nutritionist, um, you know, at, at the time. Um, he was all over the product, you know, had done his research. And so, you know, Albion, the, all of the players were, were using it and they still obviously play, you know, they, they still used it all, all throughout my tenure when I was there. Um, but in terms of, you know, teams that, that use the product, you know, Everton FC, Cardiff FC, you know, Luton, Swansea, uh, you know, Brentford Football Club use the product religiously through their staff, through their players. And more importantly, they make it available for their fans as well. Um, Celtic Football Club used the product. Um, Crystal Palace, you know, Women's FC used the product. Um, and then, you know, into other sports, the likes of Leicester Tigers, Sale Sharks, London Irish, all of them use the product. But in terms of, uh, you know, teams who purchased from us as well, the likes of Tottenham, Liverpool Football Club, um, all purchased, Crystal Palace uh, men's team, they all purchased the product <coughs> to offer to their players and staff. But it's fascinating because obviously that's sort of elite sports, but we're a um, we set the business up as a digitally native vertical brand. So being able to service consumers direct to, to their home, so you can go on online at any time, place an order, and it's delivered fresh to your door the next day. But the majority of our customers and our subscribers are actually male and female who are 35 and 40 plus. So it's not elite athletes; it's people who are actually health conscious and health aware and looking for positive change, you know, positive lifestyle change and a shift in their in their diet and nutrition. And, you know, it, it plays a massive, a massive role. And, you know, the, the saying of, you know, your, your health is ultimately your wealth. And you only really, truly realize that when you're in in health, you know, when you when you're, you know, uh, told, you know, you, 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 you can't go on like this or you know, you're not really going to, um, you know, uh, survive or your your health is in, in deterioration, all of a sudden, you know, you realise, Jesus, that like my my health is the 
the most wealthiest thing that I can actually own on this, you know, in this life. And so, yeah, a, a lot of our customers are, are, are very aware of that and, and you know, are, are advocates of that. And so all we've done is offer a convenient solution that slots into people's lifestyles where they can incorporate that to their nutritional day-to-day lives, to their lifestyle, um, and allow them to ultimately live the, the happiest and healthiest life that they possibly can. So, yeah, it's um, it, it's a privilege definitely because, you know, now we're in a place where, you know, we're, we're helping, you know, we're tens of thousands of people are using the product on a daily basis. You know, we're, uh, you know, we've got over 10,000 plus positive customer reviews of the product effectively changing people's lives. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a really unique, um, you know, it's unique what we're doing. And clearly, I'm very passionate about it because, you know, it's uh, it's what I do as, as founder and CEO of, of, of the business. And as founder and as CEO, obviously, it's helped you physically. But is it helping you mentally now? Now, you, I mean, I know you haven't you haven't retired from playing yet. You could come back, but you've had a year away from the game now. To be CEO of the company like that, it must it must be must make it easier that transition when you do stop playing yeah definitely I think um, you know having a having a purpose is key when you're playing football it's clear everyone's got a purpose you need to win on the weekend right so everyone just aligns with that but when you're outside of that environment um, it changes you know what, what, what is your purpose so clearly for me you know I was fortunate enough to, to run the, both of them alongside each other simultaneously for you know two or three years and, and very successfully so and the business very much you know stimulates me mentally and from a physical perspective playing football you, there's nothing that beats it so yeah i think um that sort of being able to be able to focus on the business and and actually give everything to the business which you know i'm always going to do um has been uh, you know a real privilege and and something as i said that i'm i'm very passionate about but at the same time again you know football very unique and uh, an incredible game an incredible sport and which I'm so proud to to have played a, a part in, and I'm, I'm certainly not not closing the door. I feel as fit as ever. Um, you know, I've, I've I've felt fitter and stronger year on year throughout my whole career. Um, so, yeah, not closing the door, but at the same time, um, enjoying what I'm doing. I just um, take you back to that first that Slavin season, if that's all right. Um, it's actually when I first started covering Albion, and I think you said so. You had to be patient at the start of the season. I think Charlie Austin started um, the first couple of games, but then you got in. Um, you won't know this, but if you go back and listen to the Baggies broadcast from that season, I sung your praises week after week. I really did. I thought you were sensational in that spell. How much did you enjoy your football from when you sort of became a regular for like maybe from like ten games in to that point of when we had that break because of COVID? Yeah, I think. Um... To be honest, that was the first time where I, you know, consistently played in in the role that I was strongest at, which was number nine. Um, you know, and it wasn't always about scoring goals, but it was about impacting the opposition. Um, you know, I think uh, there was a, a stat I got up my, you know, goals to minutes ratio, and actually, you know, I'm, I'm one of the highest, you know, strikers, uh, you know, uh, over the last few years in in the club. So, um, you know, it was more a case of being having that consistency and playing consistently, and that's what Slavin offered. And he he obviously saw the, the 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 what I could bring to the team within that role. And up until that time, I'd played, you know, number nine, number ten, you know, off the off the either side of the wing. And so it's really hard as a player when you're sort of fluctuating between roles in and out of the team. So 
as I said, you know, for me, I knew that that's what I was capable of consistently at any time. It was just about actually giving, getting that run. And, and that's what, what Slavin gave. And as we said, you know, it was a very successful season, you know, contributed significantly to, to, the, to the team and to the promotion campaign and, and, and really fond memories looking back. So you said you were a nine, but you had that license. Slavin wanted you to bring everyone else into play, didn't he? So you had sort of Matt Phillips on the right, Mateus obviously in the 10, Grady was on the left. It must have been a joy to be part of that four of you, if you like. I mean, it was there's some sens- sensational football played in that time, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know, they, they, we tore a few teams apart. I remember Swansea at home and they just couldn't handle, you know, handle everything that we were doing, the physicality, the, the link-up play. Um but yeah, great, great memories. It was, um, it was good. We had, we had a strong team, and as, as I said, Slavin brought everyone together with a common goal. Um, you know, we all knew what we wanted to achieve, and as I said, the experience that we had in the team, whether it was, you know, like we said, Jake Livermore or Charlie Austin, that like we had that experience, that know-how. You know, we'd all been promoted, we'd all played in the Premier League, we'd all played at an international level. Um, so really, as we said, you know, if we hadn't have been successful in that season you know it would have been a massive disappointment similar to the year before so um and as i said before now now you you guys are seeing it again firsthand how hard the championship is you know you look at west Bromwich's squad now you know that's a that's a lot of premier league games in one team and you know good experience they're not all young they're not all old and so but again you know uh, they're, they're nowhere near where they you know they should be and could be so um, it shows that the importance of really applying yourself and having a, you know, manager who brings everyone together to then, you know, uh, drive towards that common goal. If it hadn't been for COVID, do you think you'd have all gone on to win automatic promotion pretty comfortably? Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We were in a really strong, you know, we, we were in a strong place, and COVID was obviously crazy for everyone. So um, it was uh, it was very difficult for us to sort of um, readjust to that to that period, particularly given we were we had that momentum it was easier for the teams who didn't and then had the time to reset and then now they were chasing you know trying to get back you know catch us and so it's a it's a different psychology so you know fortunately enough we were we were uh, able to to fend off the the opposition we had a lot of of luck uh, in, in that final period but we'd earned that luck earlier on in the season with the performances and the application that we'd we'd given i agree with that there's in, during that time, though, when you were when COVID was happening, when it was at its height, when football was suspended, obviously it was a unique experience for every club. Obviously, players were working at home. There has been some suggestion that perhaps Albion players didn't work as hard as they should have in that time, and that's why we struggled to get over the line when football did return. How do you feel about that comment? Is that a fair comment? Do you think, or is that completely wrong? Yeah, I would say it's, yeah, obviously it's completely wrong because you know we we, we everyone did what they were told, and um, you know the the um setup was was good you know we everyone was um had clear clear plans set out but as we said it's not it's really not about individuals it's about the team and that momentum was obviously lost during that period so um but 100 you know we, we got it over the line and that that's all what matters so um it was a, a successful season obviously they're moving into into the premier league how do you sort of ref- reflect on the start to the season to the point of which Slavin Bilic was, was sacked? Because from my point, I thought you were unlucky in an awful lot of games. There's a lot of games that sort of foul one goal either, either side. VAR, you were really unlucky with a lot of decisions, I thought. How do you sum up that, that sort of first couple of months? 
Yeah, I also think, you know, going into the Premier League, having newly been promoted, the fans play a significant role. Um, and I remember uh, you know, being home uh, at home against Chelsea, 3-0 up, 3-2, um, 10 minutes to go, and the stadium was empty. You know, and it's like, it's moments like that where you need the fans to push you over the line. And 100%, you know, that, that buzz, that excitement going into the Premier League, that you didn't have that because there was no contact with the fans, the supporters weren't in the stadium. So it was very difficult for, you know, those clubs coming up into the Premier League to really have that momentum. Everything felt like a training game, literally. And so, um, but what I'm saying is, is that it's more difficult as a newly promoted team because you need those the fans and the fans galvanise you. You know, the fans build that momentum and, and help get you over the line as well. So, it was, um, yeah, it, it was a, a, an interesting period, a strange period for sure. Um, again, uh, as, as we said, you know, the, the owners made decisions again, you know, which which not necessarily everyone or anyone agrees with. Uh, but um, but yeah, a decision was made. Um, yeah, probably too soon um, in terms of Slavin, given sort of the success that he had had. Um, I think Slavin was uh, frustrated again in terms of the budget that he had. You know, we needed to strengthen more than we did. Um, there were some good opportunities for players to bring in, but you know the, the club didn't get them over the line. So, yeah, but it's it's difficult as well. You know, for the club, they're they're trying to uh, maintain their budgets and and not overspend too. So there, there's two sides to to it, 100%. So it was a. Uh, uh, an interesting period, one one which we could have done more in, could have done better, certainly. Um, frustration from my side, unfortunately breaking my arm against Southampton mm. early on in the season, which sort of set me back um, for a few months and um, quite frustrating because, you know, sort of watching from the sidelines, you know, and, you know the impact that, that I could have had and um, unfortunately, you know, didn't, didn't take place. I'll ask you one more on Slavin and one more on Sam as well, if that's OK. The night Slavin went, it was obviously, well, he was officially sacked the next day, but it was Manchester City away. I think it was a 1-1 draw um, that night. Or no, no, I can't remember off the top of my head. I don't think you were in the squad that night. I think it might have been after you broken your arm. But what when when you heard the news, I mean, the players were literally coming back on the coach. What? How surprised were you? Did anyone see Slavin second come in, really? Because you just said he probably should have been given more time. Yeah, and then obviously the team had just had a good result away at City. So um, strange timing, um, but decision was made, and that's football. You know, it, it's the world world of football. So you know, you need to acclimatise to that. Uh, it, it, it is what it is. So um, yeah, it, it should have been given more time potentially. Uh, you know, definitely, uh, but was he no? So uh, it is what it is. So. Then obviously Big Sam came in very quickly after that. Is it there was improvement and when he brought in a couple of loan players in the January? But is it fair to say the squad sort of struggled to get to grips with exactly what he wanted when he first arrived? How would you how would you sum it up? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, he did, he, he he did everything that he could. To be honest, that's the way I'd describe it. Um, it's always difficult, as we said previously. You know, the previous years in the Premier League. Making changes at that time, it's always it's always going to be difficult to acclimatise. And when you have such a shift in style, um, you know it's very difficult for the players to adapt. And I think, as you said, there was improvements, but really, did it make a change? You know, no, it didn't. And by the end of it, actually, you know, it wasn't. It was just very flat. So um, 
again, I'd say everything was done that could have been done. You know, the manager gave his all, uh, but as I said, it wasn't good enough from from the manager, from the players, and you know, subsequently, um, the the results tell. Was your last game Liverpool at the Hawthorns? Was that your last game? Uh, Leeds away. But then, but you scored didn't you against Liverpool the game before us, right? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, scored against Liverpool um, game before, and then scored against Leeds uh, last game of the season. So what, the summer then, you're out of contract, obviously. You, you had an interesting comment I read that sort of, it was a mutual decision. You felt maybe the time had come to leave. You weren't quite sure on the vision of the club. Is that right? Is that the words you use? I just wonder if you could explain a little bit more on that, if that's okay. Yeah, I didn't, you know, didn't necessarily agree with the direction that the club was going. Um, you know, and I think, um, as I said, you know, if I was staying or you know going anywhere it has to be there has to be a long-term vision and there has to be you know a project with it um and you know i didn't want to be in a place where you know sort of lingering mid-table of the championship you know you we've got coming down from the premier league you want to be fighting and get going straight back up like you have to have that in place but some of the decisions that were being made and you know what, what was being done sort of behind the scenes as i said uh, i personally didn't agree with so you know, i felt it was the right time for, for me to move on and sort of made made that decision pretty quickly really um a lot earlier than than what was released but i, I wasn't too bothered about what, what was released etc and so um it was quite funny because it was um they, they they released the retained and released lists and i'd already told them about a month before that I wouldn't be staying on, um, so uh, that was quite funny. But um, but yeah, uh, as I said, I just think you know, looking at the club now, it's it's not work, it's not the vision that I had at a club. Like it's you know, it should be competing uh, as, as a minimum at the top two in the league, um, and actually trying to cement itself in the Premier League. So um, yeah, but fingers crossed, uh, they can get back to to to, to clear a better vision and, and execute it. So it's fair to say you're not really surprising. I mean, obviously you would hope to see Albion in the top two, well, at the very least competing in top six this season, but it hasn't, it hasn't worked out that way. I mean, look, officially we've got to still say they could have a shot at the playoffs, but it's very, very unlikely. But it hasn't, well, you, you're disappointed they're not. You're not, you're not overly surprised, are you, it seems? Well, no, I think, um, you know, there, there's, there's such good people at the club, you know, backroom staff, the, the players that, that are still there, you know, re- really good people. And I think, as I said, um, the direction just uh, just wasn't quite quite there. You know, like you want to be saying, you know, we always ask a question like, where, where's the club going? Like, where, what, what are we doing? Like, are we, are we going back straight back up? Like, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to go straight back up. So let's make sure it happens. You know, we need the players, we need the group. You know, we need we need the vision, we need the manager, um, and it, and it wasn't it wasn't there. So um, yeah, I think the players that are there, they sh- they can be there. That's there's a core group of Premier League players with Premier League experience in that squad. But you need the direction, you need you know the 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 hunger, the commitment. It needs to come from the top. And so yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't for me. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'll hand you back to Johnny because I know we've only got a couple of minutes left. Yeah, so we'll just just sort of wrap up. How obviously at the moment, how very busy with the business. Obviously, we're seeing you um, every now and then on on Sky Sports with the punditry on the, the sort of AFL games and the championship. And I know a comment from you just a, a while ago said you know you haven't shut the door on the on returning to football. What's your your situation? Is it a case of offers are still coming in, Hal, and you're just waiting for the right one, or are you sort of content with what you've got at the moment? You know, you're very busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still, I still get calls 
at least once a week. It's quite funny. Um, uh, all over, all over the UK, all over abroad. You know, obviously, you know, decent offers and very grateful. And as I said, I know looking at even Albion this year, you know, like it's. And the thing is, what you what maybe isn't always visible for fans, like you know, because you're watching the game on the week, like it's the build up, you know. So you need to have that winning mentality, and it's not always the players who are the star performers on the weekend who actually generate that culture within the group and within the club. And I think actually, you know, um, looking at that, you know, and obviously I know it would have been been able to, to positively impact the you know, the club and uh, this year. So so a little bit, you know, annoyed at that because, yeah, but unfortunately it, it, agreements, you know, could, could, could be made, you know, as I said, didn't, didn't, didn't really align with my vision. So, yeah, yeah hindsight's I, I, a wonderful, hindsight, sorry, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Do you look at Albion, Albion have struggled for goals, you know, me and Joe know the stats, like, I don't know, Joe, we went five games without a goal at one point or, two goals in, in nine. Is there been a point this season when you're sort of watching from afar thinking, if I could have got a deal over the line, I could have played a big part this season and, and scored scored a lot of goals? Um, not, not really. It's like, obviously I'm looking at it, but it's more frustration because I'm looking at the group of players and yeah. it's a good group of players, you know, and backroom staff, it's good people at the club. So my frustration is I would have wanted to have helped them because they deserve better. And ultimately then, you know, the fans clearly... You know, deserve better. Um, but as I said, in terms of the the direction of the club, it it wasn't for me. But um, but yeah, I think um, you know, never say never. Uh, but as I said, uh, relatively content with with, with uh, you know my, my my purpose at this moment in time. Fantastic. We're uh, we're almost sort of out of time. We've just got some uh, some quick fire Albion questions um, just to to fire over at your house. Sort of me and Joe will take it in turns. Um, so yeah. Joe, if you want to if you want to kick off with our the little list we got there. Oh, you go first. I've lost my list. Sorry. I've lost your list. This is shocking. Shocking. I'll, so, yeah, I'll go first. Uh, how best player you, you played with at your time at Albion and why? Best player at Albion? Um, I'd probably say the best player was Nasser Chadley. Uh, he was just exceptional, but he just couldn't get a run injury-free. Um, and... Again, uh, he was in a difficult position um, uh, with the club, and uh, the club obviously invested heavily into him. He was a you know big signing at the time, and particularly into that second year, he just we couldn't get him fit, and him fit, uh, poof, yeah, he was uh, he, he was really good. So I'd probably say yeah, Nasser Chadley. So the next question is a very obvious follow-up: best manager or favourite manager to play under? Yeah, definitely Slavin Bilic, uh, everything that he did for the group, for the team, uh, the, the culture that he instilled, uh, the respect that he showed uh, was was very unique. Uh, most underrated player, Hal, you played with Albion? Mm, most underrated player, that's a good one. Um, quite a few, because I'd say a lot of players are, are underrated and probably included myself at that time, uh, you know, during my tenure there, but... Um, I'd probably say Matty Phillips. Uh, I'd say every time I went onto the pitch with Matty Phillips, it was 
he just he could change a game and his commitment and work ethic uh, phenomenal um, and a real asset to the team and to the squad and so yeah um, I'd say he, he he was a star player but actually not seen as a star player um, as, as often as he should have been. Who was your best mate? Best mate uh, we had a good group uh, there um, definitely uh, Jake Livermore uh, you know, still very close, close with all of them, you know, uh, now. And, but yeah, Jake and I, similar ages, similar experiences. Um, and yeah, but we had a good core, you know, myself, Jake, Carl Bartley, Matty Phillips. Um, yeah. Uh, Darnell Furlong, obviously when he came from QPR, he was really good character. Um, who else? I'm missing a few. Um, obviously, again, like Darren Fletcher, Johnny Evans, you know, the group was really strong uh, during that period. Um, but yeah. Fantastic. And just finally, final question, because I know we're, we're, we're virtually out of time. Just looking back on your Albion career, is there any, what's your highlight, any sort of best moment that you, you reflect on when you look back? Uh, yeah, I'd say um, promotion was good. Promotion was special. That first year, though, uh, finishing sort of 10th in the Premier League, uh, that was a good moment. And, you know, I remember scoring against Arsenal at home uh, in a really good game, um, which was a massively important win for that that season. Uh, that was that was good. But, yeah, some really fun memories. Fantastic. Hal, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Um, you're the first guest of our sort of summer guest series on the Baggies broadcast. So thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate your time. I'm sure all the Baggies fans will be buzzing to hear this podcast when it goes out um, in about a month's time, um, just because, you know, you were you were so well thought of at the at the Hawthorne. So good luck with the business. Not that you need it. It's absolutely flying. Um, hope to see you more as a pundit on, on Sky Sports and, and any managers out there who listen to the Baggies broadcast and need a, need a number nine. Uh, I'm sure you, you're inundated with calls. So you don't need any more, but but, mm-hmm. um, but it'll be good to good to see you back in a, back in a shirt on the field again, hopefully, uh, hopefully soon. Yeah, no, no problem. Any any clubs that need a manager, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much, Hal. Really appreciate your time. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Hal. All right. Awesome, guys. Thank really you. appreciate your time. It'll be out sort of, uh, I think it's sort of first or second week of May. It'll be just after the end of the season. We're, we're Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, if you send that over to Nick, um, I'll link our social team in and, yeah. and we'll try and share it. And Yeah, if you can get Turmeric in there. Title yeah, and get it distributed on the uh, uh, business channels as well. Yeah, right. absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much yeah. for your time. All right, nice one, guys. Yes, I just want to say, okay. I think you've been bloody missed this season, pal. I really do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know, I know. but uh, but yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they can finish the season strong, and who knows, make that final playoff spot. So our fingers are crossed. Cheers, mate. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. Take care. Bye.